morning. It is Monday, June 17th. This is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Monday morning. We have um, another great lineup this week. Kicking it off today with A.J. Adcock, and uh, we will be getting to him in just a few minutes. Tomorrow, I'm really excited to have on Ken Benzinger. He is the author of the book Red Card, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that chat. Wednesday, we're going to have Jack Gidney join us again on the show to talk about the Women's World Cup, his observations so far. Uh, what he's seen and what he's looking forward to. On Thursday, we have Dawn uh, Crow joining us on the show. And on Friday, Anthony DeChico. So uh, a, another uh, another great lineup this week. Really, really looking forward to uh, to these chats and, um, and these conversations about uh, the game here in the U.S., but also... Uh, the game around the world, the different aspects of the game. It's one th- one of the things that, that that I definitely enjoy doing and I hope that you enjoy listening to, which is looking at the game uh, in, in kind of a 360 view. It's not just uh, a myopic um, look at one aspect of the game. This is certainly not a show that is MLS-centric or, or MLS-focused or Premier League focused, or just about my favorite team, Barcelona. It's not. It's about the global game and looking at the game and and uh, all over the world. And, and certainly in one show, we're never going to be able to pull that off. But our hope is, is that as we continue to, to do shows and have guests on, that we are able to look at all aspects of the game from from a generational standpoint young to old from a geographical standpoint anywhere and everywhere around the world as well as from a systemic standpoint top to bottom and and all of the people that are involved different different jobs different um you know aspects of the game whether you're a player or a role as a coach etc a parent and, um, and, and I enjoy that and, and I enjoy these conversations and, and we hope that, uh, you know, that, that you do as well. Um, and it, it's really the big reason why we do this show and felt like, um, you know, that, that there, were, there, were, there was a big uh, aspect, especially in American soccer, of really looking at the game from a global perspective and, and, and covering it in, in an authentic way, a way that we were, we were willing to, you know, set aside, um, you know, personal um, feelings or, 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 or even having to worry about paychecks or whatever and really go into and dive into the game and cover it and have, uh, have some conversations that, um, you know, need to be had surrounding the game. And and so being able to connect with people in all levels and all aspects and getting their insight into the game, what are their experiences? What can, what, what have they, what have they found to be successful? Where are some, where, where are the gaps? Where are the inefficiencies in the market? And, you know, Friday we were talking with Nicole Rodriguez a little bit about this with the Puerto Rican women's national team, but we've seen it over and over again, Haley Carter talking about the Afghanistan women's national team program. And we've 
talked to Hope Solo about the U.S. Women's National Team program. We've talked to countless others about other areas in the system where we have inefficiencies in the marketplace. For example, in, in America, you cannot build the best soccer club that you can build um, freely. You're not... It, it, we do not have freedom in American soccer uh, to build as big as you want. You are limited by a system of gatekeepers. U.S. soccer has sanctioned uh, Major League Soccer in, in, a, in a way and has allowed Major League Soccer to infiltrate its board of directors and its leadership structure it, to, to basically keep anyone else from building as big as they like. And they use rules and they use the, the, the board to limit your ability. So you can't just go anywhere and build as much as you want or as big as you want because they w will use their influence and their power to basically try to shut you down or stifle your growth, etc. It's not a fair and open marketplace. And there are lawsuits about this right now. And we are, we are waiting to see how some of those shape up. And and. You know, and looking at the the landscape of American soccer, that that's a big issue. You know, and it's in and, and it's a justice issue in terms of, you know, there are communities, there are are cities, there there are um, socioeconomic uh, groups, there there are minorities. I mean, it, it's not limited to just. Uh, you know, one sector or, or an inefficiency in one way. It is across the board, um, you know, an in, in issue that we see and it, and it affects us all over the place. And because of that mentality, this elitist mentality, um, whether you are in the women's game, whether you are in the, the youth space, whether you are trying to, to build the biggest, baddest, you know, uh, adult club that that you can that you can build and, and play in, in the GCPL or the NPSL or NISA or USL championship. It doesn't matter the the you feel the effects of the system. And the, and the strange part of it is that if you're a major league soccer franchise, you feel it as well. You are limited by the very system that you signed up for. So everyone feels it, and it is a it is a giant lid on this pressure cooker that is American soccer. We are being intentionally limited and stifled so that a few people can maintain control and extort the American soccer landscape for money. And that is the way the system is structured, and everyone feels it, and it's a problem, and it's uh, it's something uh, that that I don't think a lot of people fully understand in terms of why there are certain pain points in American soccer, why there are certain frustrations. When we look across the board, this this mentality is is hurting us. It is limiting our ability to grow, to reach our potential, to be what we could be, what, what I think we should be, which is the greatest soccer country on earth. We are not anywhere near realizing our potential. Um, we, we are not anywhere near uh, being able to leverage our resources. 
And it really comes down to the fact that our system is is structured in a way that limits that opportunity. It limits that ability. And it even drives away investment. And in dr- it drives away resources. We've, we've seen it. We, we talked about this last week about Rocco Camiso. He frustrated with the American system, made multiple offers. He wanted to invest and put money here. And it's not to say that he won't in the future, but he went on and decided to, to put some of his money and his wealth into Fiorentina in Florence, Italy, and, and to invest uh, in the game at the highest level in Italy, in Serie A. And, you know, I, I, I look at things like that, and we've seen ownership groups like the Fenway Sports Group who, who bought Liverpool and have put time and money into Liverpool, and now they've, they've just won the Champions League. All of these... The, these groups could have been and could be in the future involved in the American soccer space if the system allows them to to do what they want to do and build it as big as they want to build it. And, and until we have a system that invites that, we are turning away money. And, and so this idea that we're you know, we're growing the game or, or, or that all this money has been invested in the game – we can't measure the, the our success based on on a preset or closed system of measurements in other words in the absence if we're measuring this off of zero you know zero money invested we've invested 100 million okay great job but that's not enough. That's not actually a good way to measure. What you want to try to measure is the market. What is the market opportunity? Not what you've invested, but what is the market opportunity? What if the market opportunity was $50 million and you put in $100 million? Well, then everybody would be like, dude, you have gone over and above to, to put money and resources into this game. You know, the, the market opportunity was, was, was half of that. And, and you've gone all in, incredible work. But if the market opportunity is billions of dollars, and we know this to be true, why? Because American youth soccer is a $5 billion, with a B, a $5 billion per year industry. It is larger than the German Bundesliga, the top professional league in Germany. The American youth soccer space These are your sons and daughters. That industry is a $5 billion plus per year industry. So when Major League Soccer is claiming to put all this money into the game, the money's not in Major League Soccer. They're not putting in billions. So when we measure the market, you have to recognize that that at the very least, if that money was appropriated the way it is in open systems around the world, that your youth soccer space, if it was reappropriated in the right way, would be a fraction of that cost for parents and be a fraction of the size of the economy that it is now and instead would, would come into American soccer at large and then be reapportioned in ways that make sense 
for an open system. So we know we're dealing with billions of available funding just from the marketplace without any investment or, or ownership investment I you know money coming in to the system so when we when we judge we can't judge based off of oh we've got a few hundred million invested here or a few hundred million here we have to look at where the totality of the market opportunity is and we're nowhere near that and so when we are nowhere near realizing that we should be inviting all of this money in and allowing that money to begin to have the freedom and opportunity to build and grow and be whatever it can be. Uh, we should invite that investment in. So we'll see how things shape up uh, going forward. It's certainly part of our our fight each and every day, which is to educate you and, and to inform you and to entertain you and, and bring conversations, you know, to you that you can you can learn from and you can see where we're at and where we can get better. And that's the key here. It's, it's not about bashing what is, it's about looking at what could be and how can we get there? We've always got to be willing to, to do some self-examination and figure out what we're doing and how can we do it better? That has to be our mentality. Eric Winalda uh, has said many times that we will never develop elite players in an elitist system and when we look at the landscape of the global game there is so much truth in that statement and um, and so those are the things that we've got to get better at changing our perspective and reaching for the stars our sponsor this half hour is Dut kick brand D-U-T-K-I-G brand.com. You can learn more about Dut Kick Brand by going to DutKickBrand.com. When you place an order, you get 10% off when you use the promo code DW Show. Again, that is DW Show. And you'll support this show at the same time. So um, you know, double whammy there. And um, thanks for doing that in advance. These products are really amazing. And if you are a soccer coach and you don't have Dut Kick brand products in your coaching bag, um, you should check them out. They've got some really cool things, including waterproof paper. And um, we all know, put that notebook on the ground, it's gonna get soaked uh, at night. And so this is an opportunity to, to keep your, your plays and your charts and your planning sessions alive without getting soaked so learn more at duckkickbrand.com we will be right back after this with aj adcock
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Monday morning. We are delighted to have joining us this morning, AJ Adcock. He is the senior girls director of the Pride Soccer Club in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the head coach of the Colorado Pride women's team that plays in the UWS, the United Women's Soccer League. AJ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel, for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, so give us a little bit of your, your story, your background. How did you get connected with a game, involved in the game, you know, that, that you decided um, later in life that uh, this is something you wanted to stay involved with? Yeah, um, obviously, uh, I'm the oldest of four, so grew up playing sports. We're, we're both uh, basketball players. For some reason, uh, mom and dad hooked me up with soccer around age three, um, played all the way through high school, youth, uh, didn't play college soccer, uh, fell in love with a girl, brought her to college, and then, uh, like the story goes, we broke up about a month later. Um, so my, my college career was cut short, and then my freshman year of college, I started with a, a rec camp um, or competitive camp. And it kind of turned into one team that, that following fall and then two teams the following year. Um, and then I eventually moved over in 2009 to take a job in Birmingham, Alabama as a technical director. Uh, spent about 10 years there, became a girls DOC. Um, and then about two years ago, uh, got an offer to move out to Colorado Springs and uh, have been coaching out there ever since. So where did you grow up? What part of the country did you grow up? I, I grew I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So I grew up in Georgia. Um, and then, like I said, in 2009, moved uh, to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, which was definitely a different soccer scene than, than Atlanta, that market. And then uh, you know, moved out to Colorado. So um, I want to do a quick, you know, compare and contrast before we, before yeah. we move on. Atlanta to Birmingham to Colorado Springs. What have you seen in those three markets here in the U.S.? Uh, I mean, it's obviously changed since I was a youth player. Um, now you see more of the clubs combining and merging and becoming these these mega clubs um, that usually have, you know, some you know Chelsea-based or you know, some bigger organization that's setting kind of the curriculum and kind of handing that down. Um, Birmingham, obviously a smaller market, so not as many, many soccer players. I can vividly remember, you know, winning a, a state cup semifinal, so excited to go to a state cup final and everybody's running off the field to go watch, you know, Alabama or Auburn play football. So definitely a change from the Atlanta scene. Um, and then Colorado has, has been, um, you know, a hotbed for soccer for a while. You got players like Mallory, um, you know, Pew, who got some time yesterday in the game. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a really, really good soccer state. And Colorado Springs is about an hour and a half south of Denver. Um, the club on that is, is luckily one of the bigger clubs. Um, but, you know, we're able to send, I think this year we're sending, you know, 15 to 20 kids to, to go play college soccer and go on to the next level. So, you know, I, I know what you mean when you say uh, the game finishes and you're running off for the Alabama and Auburn, uh, you know, games. Um, you know, I would just say, uh, and, and, and you'll appreciate this, um, 
Well, at least they actually showed up to play first before going that, to that. That is true. <laughs> that, no, I, I have I have had several girls go home. We got really good seats for the Alabama game this week, and we're going to have to miss our state league game. It's just, I mean, what are you going to say? Like, you can't make the decision for the kids. Yeah, it is. Um, it is a different world in Alabama, and uh, you know, for people that that grew up in other parts of the country, it's it's not. It's not an easy thing to explain. Um, you just no. have to experience it. And when you experience it, you're like, okay, now I under, I mean, it's, it's, it is, you know, in the way that soccer, you know, football is a religion in Brazil. Um, Alabama and Auburn is a religion in the state of Alabama. And um, correct. it's so, you know, it, it, people, you know, probably are, are like, what, what are they talking about? But I mean, it is a, we could spend a whole show talking about the craziness of, uh, of, no, of, of that. No, and, I, and I, I also grew up in North Carolina for a couple of years. So I was lucky enough to be around the, the Duke North Carolina rivalry. So it's basically like me jumping from state to state, trying to find the, the best rivalry and the, the best sport. Well, you you picked um, really good states to to uh, to find rivalries in. Um, I'm actually uh, I grew up a, a big Duke basketball fan, so um, you know, and 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 I definitely uh, understand. I think that's probably why I I naturally gravitate, you know, and, and are attracted to teams that are are part of rivalries for some reason it always seems to feel more uh like it like it means more i don't know but um so so tell it tell tell us a little bit about your work there in colorado you you come out to colorado uh, a couple years ago and and yep take over with uh um with with the the uh, pride soccer club in colorado springs what it, what is your role like as the senior girls director? Kind of what it, what's in your day to day, you know, job description? What are you trying to do? Trying to to um, lead, etc. With with the club. Um. Well, wide question. Uh, day to day job. A lot of it is organizational stuff. I mean, right now because of the summer months. I mean, I'm I'm right now I'm walking to try to find a field to scout for our 8 a.m. U. 16s um so that's my day today uh but on a usual basis it's you know answering parent emails getting things organized for either our next tryout or our next tournament or our next travel date um i also do i'm in charge of our high school so our club's broken up into basically three segments so we've got an academy director who does our nines through our uh tens and then we've got another middle director who does our 11s through our 14s and I'm in charge of our 15s through 19s, but I kind of oversee all the age groups. So basically, if there's any fire that, that needs to get put out, that guy who goes and helps deal with the fire. So you get to uh, to deal with the parents then quite a bit, huh? I do. <laughs> I do indeed. Oh, man. Um, so I, I'm sure you you have negotiated into your contract hazard pay for the soccer balls and cleats that get thrown at your face uh, when, you, when you have some of those uh, awkward conversations, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where, I mean, I think a lot of, I feel like the the standard has kind of changed. About 10 years ago when I first started coaching, it was, hey, I'm the club coach. I know everything. You're a parent. You don't know anything. 
That's the separation. And I think over the course of time, we've got more youth coaches that have learned, hey, we've got to work together because if not, my kid has got other options to go play at a different club. And we're going to do that. We're going to do what's best for our kid. And you really can't fault any parent for that. And I just, again, people forget that as coaches, we're dealing with, you know, their parents' most prized possession, their kids. Like, there's nothing more important than that. And I think sometimes that gets lost when we're just trying to win a soccer game. So let's talk about that for a second. You, the the parent coach relationship, and you mentioned that it's it's started to to transition or morph a little bit over the last ten years. Um, how have you seen it improve in in the last few years in terms of communication, uh, being on the same page, uh, etc. Compared to uh, some of that, you know, hostility or, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, glass wall, like you can't, you can't cross the yeah. line kind of thing. Like I, I'm over here, this is my zone. You stay over there. How has that changed and how have you seen some improvement in that area? I, I think that the, the big thing is, is you got club coaches who are not only trying to educate players. Now you're trying to educate parents of here's the process. Here's what you be, you should be thinking about hey, your kid's not on the top team, you know, this year, but it's a process. And if the kid continues to work and, and do A, B, and C down the road, you know, there's going to be improvement. And, you know, sometimes it's not overnight, which I know a lot of parents want. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's just having a plan for a parent, like I said, trying to educate them a little bit more, just like a player. And I think, again, just being able, willing to talk to a parent and willing to, to get on the phone or, you know, I know uh, the way that technology has changed, email can get a lot of people in a lot of trouble, just or even text messages because of stuff can get misconstrued. So I think those face-to-face conversations are obviously important or even, you know, a, a voice or a telephone call. Um, just because, again, that, that there's a lot with communication that can be misconstrued. And like I said earlier, you know, you're dealing with people's most important thing in the world. You want to make sure you get it right. Completely. Um, so when you're looking at from a, you know, a club perspective, development of players, what, what is the, at the club, what are you trying to, to achieve in, in developing your players, per, you know, in terms of quality, maybe it's characteristics of, of, of what you, you see as a, as a developed player, you know, the, the goal or the aim that, that, you are looking at from a player development standpoint characteristics of a player um that is that is a developed player so what what are you trying to to do as a coaching staff and as a club to prepare these players um that are part of your club to become you know the best versions of themselves um i think obviously it starts in my mind with ball comfort and technique i mean it's it's hard to do much if you're fighting with the soccer ball every time you touch it so um little nuances at our younger ages of receiving across your body building those good habits in but at our nines and tens it's more of like listening and learning just because at that age i really feel like you're you're teaching kids how to train not so much the training aspect of hey if a coach is talking your eyes are on the coach and you're not talking like building those little things helps you know our 11s and 12s and then you know it kind of trickles down or trickles up i guess uh, through the age groups um as far as how to act and then 
you're just you're layering it over the course of time and, and it also depends on the skill level of the player you know we've got because our club is as is, is, is large as it is as it is you know we've got several age groups that got five or six teams and these are 11 v 11 teams so what you know the challenge for the top team might be a little bit different from the challenge of a fourth team but still trying to improve every player can they can they get a little bit better can they hold themselves to a higher standard i think those are the, the things that we're trying to teach and then reminding the kids at the end of the day that it's, it, it is a game, you know, and, and it's, it's a teaching tool and learning different things of, you know, successes or failures or, you know, just different life lessons when it really comes down to it. Looking at the, the landscape of American soccer in, in, you know, let's stay on the, the women's side here with this. Um, how have you seen the, development uh change over the last 10 years as you've been involved in the game um i would say a lot of it obviously there's always a new organization you know when i grew up you were playing basically you you play in your state league you'd represent whatever state that might be in your local club um and then if you were good enough you played odp um, it seems like the ODP has gone a little bit away over the course of time where now you've got stuff like National League or ECNL or the DA. So I think there's obviously tons of opportunities um, for players to play, but I think there's this kind of wall where, you know, not often do you see DA teams playing ECNL and it just, in my mind, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I don't, I don't make the money those guys do. So what do I know? Well, yeah, we we have a we have a dysfunctional mess uh, at the at the youth space for sure. Um, so when we when we look at uh, the player, the female player that's coming up now, that's being developed now, do you think the system that we have in place is is helping us develop better players than we did ten years ago, or do you think the system we had ten years ago was developing better players? Uh I'll tell you in 10 years. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say right now because, you know, it's always the work now we'll see in the future. We won't see it immediately. Um, you know, obviously our success at the World Cup level, um, at the Olympic level for, for the women's side is high. You know, the bar is high. We should be making the finals of these events. And, you know, it's a little bit different, obviously, on the, on the men's side. You know, it's devastating. Um, for me as a U.S. fan, for the men's team not to make the World Cup, but I don't obviously think we give the women's side enough love and, um, you know, celebrate their accomplishments and, and the standard they're setting for the women. And the bar, like I said earlier with our youth side, it's like trying to raise the bar. And that's, I think, what the what the women's game has done. I think college soccer, obviously, you're getting a ton of women into the game and, you know, getting their educations taken care of, which I think in the end, you know, is very important just because, especially in the women's game, I mean, injuries happen, you know, especially ACLs and knee injuries way more often than the men. Um, I had four of my U15s miss half of the year last year, or I'm sorry, three missed half of the year last year with ACL injuries. And you're just like, what is going on here? So, you know, I think, we're continuing to get better. Um, it'll be interesting to see the run. I know there's all the drama with uh, the women's team and dropping 13 and should they celebrate. Um, but I think it'll be a, a great World Cup. And it's as as a youth coach with all these girls and regionals being able to get a group and watch the game together and, you know, 
get on them for playing on Instagram and be like, hey, watch the game. You know, put your phone down for an hour and a half. You'll be all right. Totally. Um, when we look at the, the women's game, obviously the, the U.S. women's national team have been the gold standard. Uh, every country around the world has been behind the eight ball. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with our, our college system, Title IX, et cetera, where we've, um, you know, for been ahead of the world in terms of some of those opportunities. Now, have we resourced the women's national team in a way that that we should I don't think so. I think we should put more resources no. than we have, right? Um, yeah. And, and you know, however, uh, compared to the rest of the world, we have put more than the rest of the world. And I think that has, has helped. That doesn't let us off the hook, and I want to be clear about that. I don't think that lets us off the hook and the Federation off the hook for for not putting more resources into the women's game and pushing as the gold standard and leader in the world we should be we should be leading that cause uh, with FIFA as well to say, hey, look, you you need to step up and, uh, and and put more resources into the women's game around the world as well as we're taking care of things here at home. Um, but as we start to see some of these countries, Italy, Spain, um, put put money England into the game, and we're seeing these national teams improve, we're seeing their their women's leagues. Uh, improve in player development and and to see the way they're playing. I, I said this to um, on the show last week that you know it, if if you don't see what's coming with Spain over the next ten years, you're blind. I mean, they are about to be a power in the women's game. Uh, they're not they're not quite there yet, and obviously some of the results haven't gone their way, and they've got. Um, a big day today uh, to see if they can get through uh, and into the knockout stages. But um, the way that they're playing and the, the culture that they're building and the attendance that are coming to those women's matches are, is starting to grow and they're starting to put more resources there. Um, as we look at the, at the women's game in, in the U.S., what are some things that we need to do to stay at the top of the women's game going forward? Oh, man, good question. Um, I mean, obviously I think resourcing it, um, you know, put, making sure that we put just as much money in, into the Federation and, and, and supporting, you know, our national team, but also our youth national teams is obviously huge. I think, uh, building our own, um, league, you know, the NWSL has a couple of clubs that are, are really doing well as far as attendance and growing the, the women's side. I think more money needs to get thrown that way as well. Um, you know, we're in the UWS, uh, our conference is made up of two Canadian teams and two California teams. So we're, we're a youth club, but we're, you know, traveling and spending the kind of money, um, to, to go to these places so that our players can play against, you know, U20 national team players. I mean, we were able to again play last week or two weeks ago against Santa Clarita and, uh, Orange County Galaxy and, you know, you're playing some of the, the best women players in the country who aren't in WSL. So, again, I think it's fun, but I think it's also trying to figure out ways to raise the standards so you get more people watching the game, and especially the women's game, obviously. So, um, as, you, as you look ahead into the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, uh, what would you like to see change – 
so that the women's game can grow? Like what 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 would you you know whether that's in the youth space in terms of the you know multitude of options and and different leagues and pathways or or funding resources you know it, you know if you if you could kind of look over the next 5 10 years where would you like to see some of these programs um, go in terms of of improving player development club opportunities etc for me, it's trying to keep as many girls in the game as possible. You know, obviously there's there's a break around U14, U15, and even when you get towards the later stages of high school, of uh, girls dropping out and, and doing other things. I think, you know, building that superstar. I grew up in like the Jordan era, so it was basketball, it was Nike, it was the advertising side of it to to say, hey, this is this is who I could be one day. Um, I think far as the the youth side and 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 developing better soccer players um i think for me it's i would love to see a more like a one league system where it's not watered down between ecnl and da and state competition just because in my mind you don't have the best players playing against the best players because you know you didn't make the da team so now you're playing on the ecnl team well now you as an ecnl player you're not playing against this da team so for me, getting the best twofold, one, keeping as many players in the game for as long as possible. So even after you're a youth player, you're still wanting to kick a ball around and then trying to get the best players playing against the best. I mean, those, those are the two main things in my mind to continue to grow the game and, and raise the level. In terms of coaching and, and coaching, um, you know, girls players, developing girls players, um, you know, last week we had on, uh, Jess Nash and she was talking about, uh, kind of a mentorship program that they're doing and in, in trying to, you know, get some of their girls, uh, as they're 17, 18 to start thinking about coaching and being a coach. Um, how important do you think it is to, to get the right coaches, and, and more coaches uh, interested in the, the women's game or, or you know, or the, or the girls' side of a club um, in terms of, you know, reaching those goals that you were, you were talking about uh, in terms of player development? No, I mean, I think we're always looking for female coaches. You know, in my mind, um, there's only a certain amount of things I can do, and I can never, you know, I can, I can sympathize and empathize. that's something I haven't been through is being a woman. So, you know, having female role models around at our club is really, really important. Um, You know, we try to look and hire as many as possible. Um, We were lucky enough. I I actually hired a a woman named Jennifer Grubb. Um, She shot me an email just saying, hey, I'd be interested in, you know, helping out with your women's semi-pro team. I'd also be interested in, you know, coaching um, some youth soccer. Um, I'd you know, do what everybody does nowadays, Google her, and she was national team player and ridiculous pedigree. So sometimes it falls in your lap, but then sometimes it's going to our local colleges and figuring out, hey, who, who are your grad students or who are your seniors and would they be interested in doing a camp? And I mean, that's, that's kind of how my pathway started in college. It started with a camp and then it grew into a team and grew into some more confidence and it kind of kept growing. So I think trying to obviously get, get there's girls who already know they want to coach and getting them involved early, but then it's those who, those players, I think, who are about to leave the game 
and still trying to figure out a way to, to keep them involved in the game, I think is, is obviously very important. When you're looking, um, you know, at a part of the country where to get to other places um, requires a lot of travel, uh, you know, when you if you look at, at at a U.S. map and you look at it based on population density, you start going west of the Mississippi and things start opening up really fast. Um, and, yeah. and, and to get from Colorado Springs to Texas or to New Mexico or, or to Vegas or any other place, you're, I mean, it's not, hey, we're, we're, we're in New York. We're going we're gonna to go an hour away and we've got, you know, 15, 20 different options. You may be driving six, seven hours away to get to one option. Um, how does that affect your budget? How does that affect your programming? Uh, how does that affect, uh, you know, your planning as a club, th- this aspect of, um, I wouldn't say it's isolation, but the fact that, you know, the density wise, uh, you, you do have to travel quite a bit to get, uh, you know, games or, you know, meaningful competition, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a culture shock for me growing up, uh, in the South and in region three for, for the east side where, everything's drivable and it's only a couple of hours away worst case scenario um for most of the regional leagues we played in it was maximum like you know two or three hours away um here it's for our regional league it's a flight you know we're flying to vegas for for three games or we're flying to arizona um for three games uh we try to do a lot where we're letting parents know what they're getting themselves into kind of before we go down that road but you know it, it does get expensive you know we're like i said we're at regionals right now um hopefully we'll be here all week and you know we were looking at just the hotel bill alone was around 10 grand so it's it's obviously planning ahead and starting to budget as early as possible but you know setting parents expectations so there isn't sticker shot value and then it's also very important about the why um you know why are we going to this event and it, it's got to make sense i had my U14s qualified through a regional league for, for regionals last year, which is in Hawaii, which I was so amped to go for as my first year in Colorado. Um, but we got to a point where we didn't, we didn't have the numbers, so we only had like 13 players. And then it's the question, are we going to Hawaii just to go to Hawaii? Or are we going for the soccer experience? And we ended up not going just because we couldn't answer that why and say, hey, this makes logical sense to go to this event. Um, in the long run. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when, when we look at how do we improve things, how do we, how do we build better systems in this country that, that do address the inefficiencies in the market, I think that's one area where, you know, um, you know that, that conversation often gets overlooked. Um, it's like, hey, you know, for example, uh, we need to build a league, uh, so let's, we, let's have a national league. And, I'm, and, and I sit here going, like, do you guys r- realize that, that our geography is basically the size of Europe? Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're doing that for Champions League. They're doing that for Europa League. Um, they're not doing that for Manchester United to, to, to travel to play Liverpool. Um, yeah. And, and so the, this idea that, you know, we have this geography we have to deal with, and I, I think sometimes we just overlook it. We don't put enough 
uh, value and importance into figuring that nugget out and, 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 you know, understanding that some parts of the country, that is going to be a big issue. Whereas if you're in the Northeast, um, you know, it may not, it may not be a big issue at all. Um, and, and you can get around to a lot of, uh, you know, competitions and places fairly easily. And, and, and then you're out West and it's like, Hey, I've got to go eight hours. That's a plane ride. And then it's hotels and it's this. Um, and I, I do think it's just kind of sometimes overlooked, um, in, in that conversation. So I want to, I want to wrap up with this and I know, I know you've got, um, uh, stuff coming up. Um, with this final question and, and it's a question I've been asking a lot of our guests and I uh, just want to um, get your, your thoughts on this. If you, if you were put in charge of American soccer for a day, you had Supreme authority, you could do whatever you wanted with your day in charge. You could change anything. You could right every wrong, whatever it is. What would you do with your one day in charge? Uh, ask for a second day first. Um, I don't know. I, that's, that would be one I'd obviously have to like ponder and think about right off the top of my head. Um, obviously restructuring, uh, our leagues in the country, um, whether it be youth or, you know, our pro side and, you know, our semi pro side, um, again, figuring out a way to, to make it more reasonable for, you know, pay the youth side for parents to be able to pay for it. I remember the sticker shock when I, when I bought my first cleats, it was just like, man, my parents have been paying a lot of money over the course of time. Um, honestly, improving the league system would be, would be huge. Um, you know, giving our national teams some, some, the, the money that they deserve for, for the accomplishments they've had over the course of time. And then I'd also figure out ways to, to improve the, the college game. How can we, you know, from a youth player who's starting to kick the ball around to, you know, the best player in the country, how can we make that pathway easier um, and more accessible for people? I mean, there are people who can't pay. I mean, that's there are people who literally have to stop playing the game because they can't get to an event, because they can't travel there, because they couldn't afford the food there. Um, so figuring out a way, again, I would, I would love to make all of the club systems free. You would alleviate a lot of soccer parents' um, problems if, if they weren't paying anything. Um, but again, I don't. I don't think there's just one solution. I think it would be, you know, start with A, B, and C, and, and work our way through, and you know, figure out, hey, is this a good solution? Yes, no, okay. Well, do we need to continue improvement? And I, I think that's that's the basic thing is continuing to improve, continuing to make the system better, and raising the bar. I mean, let's. How many times in a row can we win the World Cup? How many times in a row can we win our, you know, U twenties or the Olympics or whatever the event may be. I mean, the standard obviously right now is extremely high. Can we keep that standard over the course of time? Well, I, I like your answer and, um, you're the first, uh, just to, just to, to, to let you know, you're the first to say I would ask for a second day. And uh, I thought that was brilliant. Um, no one, no one, and this is why I love this thought exercise. No one's at, at gone there before, uh, to say, Hey, I, I would take a second day. Um, but uh, I, I like where your head's at on those things. And, um, and, and I think, you know, as we look at the, the landscape of American soccer, there, we are such a big country geographically. We do have a lot of resources 
but we also have a lot of inefficiencies in how we do what we do. And there are a lot of areas where we can get better. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we, we are um, at the top on the women's side, but I do see that if we don't start addressing some of these things, uh, that's going to get tougher and tougher uh, as the years go on, as some of these other countries are starting to put resources and investments and, and provide more opportunities for their, um, you know, female players. Uh, and, and, and there's no reason why we shouldn't uh, continue to, to stay at the top and, and fight for uh, remaining the gold standard. If we, if we fall asleep uh, at the switch, we're, we're going to wake up in 5, 10, 15 years and go, man, that was a great run, but what happened? And, uh, and there's no reason why we should experience that. We, we should fix it now. Hopefully uh, we, 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 we reach a place where the Federation starts to, to, to put more resources into our women's national team uh, program and uh, treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Um, and, uh, and also that these other issues start to get addressed so that we can see these player pathways open up and more opportunities for player development continue. So, AJ, thanks for uh, for coming on the show. We we are, we appreciate you stopping in this morning, and uh, good luck there in Colorado and uh, with all of all of your work. and And like I said, appreciate you uh, stopping by uh, today. Thanks, Daniel, for the time. Have a have a wonderful day and a rest of the week. Thank you. That is AJ Adcock of Pride soccer club there in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and um, love love the where's heads at in terms of just continuing to push to reach for uh, the top, trying to get better, trying to find a way to stay at the top, get to the top, make uh, things more accessible, make things um, easier uh, for for players, for parents, for coaches as well. Um, you know, solving problems starts with that and and so uh you know you first got to wrap your head around what what could be you know we don't put a man on the moon without having a president in in jfk who who had a dream and who was bold enough to stand before the country and the world and say we are going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade um we have more technology in our pockets these days than that than that spaceship that went to the moon um, and, and we just need to keep that in mind when, when we talk about what's possible, the opportunity of what is possible. We could be the greatest soccer country on earth if we set our hearts and minds to it, and we need leadership that is going to do that. Managers are not going to get us there, and uh, what we've done in the past isn't going to get us there. Uh, repeating the same things over and over, expecting a different result, we all know that is the definition of insanity. And that is what we continue to see from our federation. That is not going to get us to the promised land of becoming the greatest soccer country on earth. That is is an issue um, for me where this all starts. It all begins and ends with leadership and vision. And if we get to a place where we have leaders who are leading from a place of bold vision, where every country, where every part of this country has opportunity and access, if that becomes our mentality and our mindset, that we have a, a growth mindset, the sky is the limit, and we can do amazing things. Speaking of amazing things, 
Charity Water does amazing things. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world. They are changing villages and they are changing people's futures uh, all of the time, each and every day. And you can do do something to be a part of that. Go to charitywater.org. Again, that is charitywater.org. And you can make a difference and change the world as well. We will be right back uh, after this break from Charity Water. Thanks for tuning in this Monday morning uh, and appreciate AJ for joining the show uh, as well. We will, we will be right back after this break. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world we know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth and when you can bring water into communities it truly transforms them it changes everything now you could know that you'd made a difference you could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Again, I'd like to thank AJ for stopping by, sharing his thoughts on the women's game, on developing the next generation of female players, coaches, etc. Uh, appreciate him stopping by uh, and, and, and to chat with us. Uh, coming up today uh, in the Women's World Cup, we have uh, two matches kicking off at noon Eastern. Um, we have South Africa and Germany. And um, we also have China and Spain. And in that group, that match, China and Spain, is going to be, uh, you know, a lot on the line. Basically, uh, both of those teams have the opportunity to advance uh, out of the group. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a fascinating match to watch. Um, and and to see, you know, what happens uh, there um, at the moment going into that match. Spain is uh, ahead of China on goal difference. So with a draw or a win, Spain will advance. If China wins, they're through. So that's going to be that's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of drama there. And then later at 3 p.m. Eastern, we have Korea and Norway, and at the same time, we have Nigeria and France. And uh, in that group, you have Norway and Nigeria both tied on three points, but Norway has a uh, plus three goal difference uh, for tiebreaker over Nigeria. So um, Nigeria would definitely need to um, 
to to get a a draw in a Norway loss, or they would need to get a win in a Norway um, draw or loss to be able to advance. If both teams were to win, uh, Nigeria would have to have a U.S. women's national team versus Thailand type of performance, not necessarily 13 goals, but quite quite a bit to overcome that goal differential. It looks likely it, at, at the way that group looks that Norway would be the team to advance along with France um, to get out of that group. Um, and, and in the group B, that, that Spain-China match uh, is going to be the one to watch uh, in that group because it could go either way. And, uh, and we will be watching. All eyes will be on France uh, today at noon and at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yesterday, the U.S. Women's National Team played again, played Chile. It was a 3-0 result. Um, and the, the player of the match was the Chilean goalkeeper. She was amazing. Inler was unbelievable. Um, you know, it... it Watching that match, she, it, 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 if you had a, a goalkeeper that wasn't very good or just kind of average, Chile would probably lost six, seven, eight to zero. Um, she was just unbelievable uh, yesterday. And even on the three goals, um, you know, just it, it, it was really tough luck for her. I uh, didn't really see that it was, you know, her making mistakes. Um, but then, you know, she really turned it on uh, in the second half as the U.S. kept pressing for more, and she just kept stepping up time and time again. Unbelievable effort and performance there um, as the U.S. women's national team won 3-0 to zero and secured uh, advancement into the knockout rounds along with Sweden, who won their match against Thailand. So the U.S. leads Group F with a plus 16 goal difference, Sweden with a plus 6 goal difference, and the U.S. and, the, and, uh, and Sweden uh, face off later this week um, for uh, the final game of Group F. Both teams are advancing. Uh, that game uh, is is going to determine who's one or two coming out of the group. If Sweden were to win that match, they would come out as the uh, the top uh, team of the group with a U.S. Uh, draw or win. They will secure a a top place finish in group f so uh it will be uh it will be interesting to see netherlands and canada um advancing as well uh out of their groups uh out of their group in group e so things are starting to shape up we're starting to to to, to finish up group play this week and get into the knockout rounds and then that's where some of some of this drama is i think going to step up is you're going to start to see quality uh, to play quality and um, and and so you know we'll see how how this shapes up but um, you know there are some dangerous teams out there the U.S. women's national team continue to look good and um, and and so all all eyes are going to remain on France and see how things shape up uh, in France as the U.S. women's national team continue uh, their pursuit of a consecutive world cup title 
And uh, that's what we're all rooting for here in the U.S. We'll see how that works out as they continue to advance. Um, another good performance yesterday um, as they won 3-0. to zero. Thanks for tuning into the show this week. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we will be joined tomorrow by Ken Benzinger. He is the author of Red Card. Um, you don't want to miss that interview tomorrow. It's going to be really good. Wednesday, we'll have Jack Gidney. Thursday, Don Crow. And Friday, Anthony DeChico. Thanks for tuning in today. We will see everybody again tomorrow.